Please turn to Romans chapter 8. This evening we're going to consider the golden chain. The golden chain. And well, read Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through to 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. In Romans chapter 8 verse 28, it is written that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Last week it was seen that the call is a holy, effectual and irresistible call by which God draws his elect to his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does so with loving kindness, having granted them repentance. Moving on to verse 29 and 30 this week. What can be seen in those two verses is a chain of salvation with five golden links. In verses 29 and 30 we see foreknowledge, predestination, effectual calling, which has already been considered last week in verse 28. We see justification and glorification. That's quite a mouthful, but if you belong to Jesus, it's well worth committing the five golden links of salvation to your memory, meditating upon them and praising God for that chain. The first two links, foreknowledge and predestination, refer to what God has determined before the creation of the world. And the last two, the justification and the glorification refer to what God has done or he will do to you. As for the middle link, the calling, that connects the first pair with the second pair. We shall consider in some detail foreknowledge and predestination, the first pair of links, also, we shall look at justification and glorification. That's the, the fourth and the fifth link. And they are connected to by a holy and effectual call, the middle link, the third link. First of all, in verse 29, the Apostle Paul said, For whom he did foreknow. Most simply defined, to foreknow means to know about an event before it happens, or to know people before they exist. However, here it must mean much more than that, because God knows about everything before anything ever happens, and he knows all people before anyone 
ever exists. Take the prophet Jeremiah, for example. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the Lord said to him, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Therefore, when applied to God, as well as meaning to know about an event before it happens, to foreknow also includes God's eternal decree, which is fulfilled in his perfect time. For example, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, the Apostle Peter said the following to the Jews about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain by the foreknowledge of God. Wicked men crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore God knew that wicked men would crucify and kill the Lord Jesus Christ and what's more, he ordained it. He decreed that it should happen. It happened in accordance with God's plan for the salvation of sinners. We see that foreknowledge. It's not just that he knows something is going to happen. Of course he does. He's God. He knows everything. But he decreed. We look at the decree of God. As well as him simply knowing something before it happens. Coming back to our passage. The foreknowledge of God refers to people who are loved by him with with an everlasting love. So that foreknowledge is linked with an everlasting love. Therefore, what it does not mean is that in eternity, God looked along the corridors of time and chose people for salvation, people whom he foreknew would respond favourably to the gospel. That's not how it was and that is not biblical. The foreknowledge refers to people being chosen by God in eternity, being loved by God with an everlasting love and being brought to repentance and faith in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time and in accordance with God's good pleasure. That's foreknowledge when we're speaking about God. Look at verse 29 again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We see that those who are foreknown by God are predestinated or predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If foreknowledge is about the choice of people, then predestination is about their destiny. Predestination means to determine a person's destiny beforehand. In verse 29 we're being told that those whom God 
fixed his love on, even before the foundation of the world, he has also determined in eternity that they will be conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Being conformed to the image of the incarnate Son of God is the subject of quite some debate. It is given in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, that God created man in his image, which apart from anything else means that God set set man apart from and above all other creatures. Also, being made in the image of God means that man is an intelligent and creative creature. Although the entrance of sin into the world has made him very foolish and very destructive, as well as being intelligent and creative. With the entrance of sin into the world, man has become foolish and ignorant because of the blindness and the darkness of his wicked heart. Consequently, one might conclude that the image of God has been destroyed by sin, and there are verses that seem to suggest that. For example, in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3, it is written that Adam begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. Note that Seth was begotten after the fall of mankind, and he was begotten in the image of Adam and not God, according to Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. However, by the time we get to Noah, over a thousand years later, when God instituted capital punishment for murder, it is written in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he men, made he man. And then when you get to the New Testament book of James, chapter 3 and verse 9, it is written, Therefore bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse men, which are made after the similitude of God. You will have to decide for yourself if you think that the image of God has been completely wiped out by sin. As for me, I tend to concur with R.C. Sproul, who said, There is no part of our humanity that is not profoundly affected by the fall and by sin. The mind, the heart, the will, the body, the whole person in totality has been radically affected by sin. But that affectation does not destroy or annihilate the image of God. Whether the fall and sin has entirely destroyed and annihilated the image of God or not, what we can all agree on is that the natural man has a desperately wicked heart and that he is hostile towards God. I say desperately wicked, every time I say desperately wicked heart, 
I always put an emphasis on the desperately because I'm pretty sure that everyone in here, including myself, we don't even begin to appreciate just how wicked the heart is. Why is that? Because the heart is also deceitful. Who can know it? But the Bible tells us that the heart is wicked. Even the Apostle Paul, who had been a born-again Christian for about 30 years when he wrote this letter to the Romans, said of himself, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Therefore, there is a work of God in even the godliest of Christians to conform them to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself the express image of God. How are all you Christians who are foreknown by God being conformed to the image of his Son? How does that happen? It starts with the new birth. Being born again, being made a new creature in Christ. Also, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You are being sanctified or made holy by the indwelling Holy Spirit through the word of God by which your soul is nourished and by which you take in more and more knowledge of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. More and more each day, your morals, your outlook, your desires, your ambitions are being shaped by the Bible, which is the Word of God. And so it is, it's an ongoing process of being conformed to the image of Christ that will never reach completion in this lifetime. Verse 29 again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The reason for being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ is given that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. As brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, dear Christian, are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ of a heavenly inheritance. However, Christians are not brothers on equal terms with the Son of God. He must have the preeminence. And so it is written that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whilst firstborn can mean the oldest or the oldest brother, it is often used as a reference to superiority. For example, in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, the Lord instructed Moses to say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, speaking about the nation of Israel. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. That speaks of God setting the Israelites above all other nations because of his love for them and because of his promise to Abraham. 
And in Psalm 89 and verse 27, the Lord said, Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. That promise to David was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his humanity, is a descendant of David, and as the king of kings, Jesus is higher than all other kings. And so it is. We see the fulfilment of that promise to David in Christ. Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Therefore, the sonship of Jesus is infinitely greater than ours in that he is the eternal son of God. Even so, we who trust in him as our saviour from sin ought to be thankful that we are his brethren by virtue of him, giving us the right and the great privilege to become the sons and daughters of God. But Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brethren. Looking at verse 30 here. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. As was seen when we looked at verse 28, the elect of God are called with an external call, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like everyone else in the world is called with an external call to repent and to believe the gospel. Furthermore, the elect of God are called with an internal call, a holy, effectual and irresistible call by God. God who draws them with loving kindness to his dear son. As soon as the elect are effectually called and savingly united to the Lord Jesus Christ as repentant sinners, they are justified and from then on they are accepted to God in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as people who are trusting in the perfect obedience of Christ in his life and in his sacrificial death. As it is written in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through to 6. According as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. So we've got the predestination there, the adoption as children. Therefore, we are brethren with Christ and he is the firstborn among many brethren according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he have made us accepted in the beloved, accepted in the beloved, clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we clearly see there, it's in accordance with the good pleasure of God's will. 
Nothing to do with God looking along the corridors of time, whatever that means, and seeing, oh, look at Glenn. I can see Glenn there. I know he's going to make a decision for, for Christ. Add a boy. I'll choose him. None of that. Same, it's the same with each one of you here who call on Jesus. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And God foreknew you. He predestinated you. And he called you. And he justified you. And last of all, in the golden chain of salvation, is glorification. Look at that again in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Again, lovely words, isn't it? And beautiful doctrine there. And I really would encourage each one of you to learn these verses and to just think about them and praise God for them. Those who are justified by faith, justified and saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have been predestinated to be conformed to his image. They will most certainly be glorified. You will most certainly be glorified if you are justified by faith in Jesus. It will happen when Jesus comes again. When that happens, your body will be redeemed and made like unto his glorious body. The natural body, which is sown into the ground in corruption, in dishonour and in weakness, shall be raised a spiritual body in incorruption, in glory and in power, and then death will be swallowed up in victory. Note in verse 30 that glorified is in the past tense, which emphasises the certainty of it happening. It's as if it's already happened. The glorification of the elect of God has been made certain by the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ to the law in his life and by his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the dead. It's a certainty, the glorification. Having considered Romans chapter 28, uh, sorry, Romans 8 verse 29 to 30, which takes us from God's eternal decree with respect to his elect, to the certainty of their glorification when the Son of God shall come again and their souls will most certainly be reunited with redeemed bodies made like unto his glorious body. Can you see something of how great the grace of God is towards hell-deserving sinners? You can be certain that those five golden links of God's abundant grace apply to you if you are someone who is trusting in Christ alone for your salvation from sin and for your justification. Amen.